Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll ask anybody's question but yours. You're an idiot. And really a disloyal person. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Disloyal Idiots, a Fans for Sports Network production. Uh, We're here, all three of us, for the entire podcast for the first time in a good bit here, folks. Uh, As always, Steve Haller here, Christian DeGuzman and Andy Pregway joining me. What's going on, guys? This is really like the Infinity Stones all joining just at the right time it's how you know football season's close yep <laughs> yeah yeah we all we all come back out of our holes for football season to start <laughs> football football yeah football yeah it's like uh you know instead of Puxatani phil we've got like syracuse steve here okay huh? if you see, see my channel okay we're close if, if steve sees his shadow it means that an offensive lineman went down with an acl injury <laughs> no that was <laughs> a tight end thankfully so uh, unfortunately, see, Stephen Mahar did go down. If anyone didn't hear that, if you if you see an increase in New York State Fair advertisement boards on six ninety, that means Syracuse football season is near. <laughs> confirmed that has happened. <laughs> so we're there. Um, I guess. Uh, do we just dive into the meat of it? Because uh, this is probably going to double as our season preview or one of our season preview episodes. Um, we got the first taste of a projected depth chart this week. And we, you know, uh, access to this team has been extremely, extremely limited, it seems, even more so than most. Uh, I know Mike hasn't been able to get really a good look at anybody. Uh, Same with Dom. Um, I don't even know if he's been back on campus much, but uh, or even is. But uh, either way, uh, our friends over at uh, Noon's Magician haven't gotten some great Great looks, but uh, it seems like Emily Liker over at Syracuse.com did. And yeah. in doing so. Uh, no, I was going to say, it, it just seems like, to your point, Steve, I think that there's weirdly a lot of apathy around the program this year. And this would have been a great year to have, say, a documentary series that followed the team around in preseason and released in the weekly installments to get the team to get the fan base excited about the upcoming season that should start with a relatively strong start. Um, but you know, I did not go to school for communications or oh wait, I did. Um anyway. So so who's Aaron Rodgers on this team? I mean, the last time we did this, Tommy DeVito, I don't know how long of a leash he got because of the series, but 
there was a good portion of the fan base that liked Tommy DeVito because he was really good on camera. Um, and you wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, myself included there. Um, so they've done this before and it's worked and it's weird that they don't want to make it. They don't want to try it again. That's, that's all I'm going to say. I would do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I guess, do we just, do we just dive in? Like, is that the, the best way to, do we just yeah, rip I the think, bandaid off and go at it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the rip the bandaid off. Um, the context of this is that of course, as Steve mentioned, Emily, Liker is one of the few who has gotten access to the team this season. Uh, and the depth chart is not an official depth chart. It is a, this is what we're seeing in the reps that we're allowed to see that look to be pretty close to full speed, full intensity. Does that sound and, like the right caveats? <laughs> I would say so. And uh, for the record, uh, if, um, if you're, this is this is from Syracuse.com, and if you're not subscribed to Syracuse.com, you should just because Emily's coverage has been great these last two years. Um, and uh, you know, on, it, when you're not, you know, tossing noons bucks at us, so <laughs> or I guess is it disloyal bucks now? Disloyal dollars? Dis disloyal dollars? I think right, that's, that's trademark that. Go, go. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll be on that. Um, I guess starting at the top, we have the. Uh, the quarterback position. I don't know if you've heard of this position. It's a fairly important one. No, not uh, at all. Well, in the in the bullpen, we have uh, currently Luke McPhail and Braden Davis, the South Carolina transfer. And then on the two deep, we have uh, as the backup Carlos Del Rio Wilson and Garrett Trader as the number one. Is anyone in the room surprised by this? If anyone didn't see it, uh, Christian just raised his hand and quickly dropped it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think at this point, the only question would be if Schrader is... Uh, they, they've said that they still need to teach him how to throw again, or... like Which is a little worrying two weeks before the first game of the season. Yeah, when when Dino came out and said, we, we need to, over the next two weeks, teach him how to rethrow after his surgery, um, that very much uh, caused some consternation in my brain. And, uh, and given yeah. Schrader's weaknesses over the past couple of years that we've seen, like throwing, namely, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that, that does not bode well. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully, Jason Beck can, uh, aforementioned coordinator, uh, not quite into the discussion yet, but uh, if Jason Beck can work some quarterback magic like he has in the past, uh, he made his throwing motion look a lot better last year and hopefully can do the same post surgery. So we'll we'll see what we get out of Schrader. Um, any thoughts on Del Rio Wilson getting the backup nod over uh, Braden Davis or uh, Luke McPhail? I mean, over Luke I'm, McPhail. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'm I'm not surprised by this because Dino does typically like to play things close to the vest. But I will say that if you're Brandon Davis, um, it's not it's not a great sign that you weren't able to clearly delineate yourself from Carson Del Rio Wilson. Um, I think that this is a podcast and I think this is a fan base that is relatively high on Del Rio Wilson for a lot of reasons. His pedigree, uh, what we saw last year when he wasn't running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Um, but my, my biggest thing with Del Rio Wilson is that he does not look comfortable throwing the ball while moving. 
And it appears that the offensive coordinator decision that Dino made, bringing, you know, when Robert and I left and promoting Beck to the offensive coordinator position, it was Dino's finally embracing a, a mobile quarterback and finally embracing that it is time to get rid of this traditional pocket passer role that he is more familiar with, that the Jimmy Garoppolo is no longer the success story that he wants to compare things to. And I am a bit concerned that Carson Del Rio Wilson Carlos doesn't. I, I was Carlos. waiting. That's the, that's the, I was yeah, waiting that's the second time in three weeks you've done that. Uh, well, because I'm practice. thinking of because when you think because honestly, like, and this is this is going to be kind of terrifying for some people. Like the comp that I have in my head right now is Carson Wentz, like a guy who's like big body, sh- has a cannon of an arm, should all things put together, should be able to throw on the run with some success. And again, I do want to like, I am going to admit last year, we saw him playing behind a not healthy offensive line. But, but I'm a... You, where's the but I, difference yeah. this year? Uh, well, and that's the thing is like, I again, I think <laughs> no. that in right? the best case... Well... We'll see. I, exactly. I we'll get there. <laughs> right. Best case scenario, Del Rio Wilson has shown that he can work in a mobile quarterback system. And that is why he's the backup. Um, Worst case scenario, they are going with the devil that they know, and the new guy in the door has yet to fully acclimate to the system, and it's still a relative unknown. It doesn't leave me feeling good about the inevitable game or two that we are playing without Garrett Schrader, because we will play at least one or two games without Garrett Schrader this season. And you know yeah, it's no. going to be during that back half of the schedule where all of those games are theoretically winnable. Yeah, and all those games are how you go from a four and eight team to a nine and three team, basically. Yeah. Now that said, uh, uh, Davis only came in for fall ball, so or summer camp, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he was not there for the spring, so that is also. In my brain, you know, if nothing else, like you said, the devil you know, uh, Del Rio Wilson being the backup because of uh, him knowing the system more, him having another year in it, how this shakes out as feasibility later in the season when Davis is much more comfortable, we'll see. But at this point, it it 100% makes sense. And and to your point, Andy, also about the whole pocket passer versus mobile quarterback, we already saw that shift two years ago when Babers made the switch from Schrader to DeVito in week four of the season, which kind of shocked everyone because while in that 2021 season, DeVito wasn't necessarily great, he wasn't bad. And no, and the so, game he made the switch after was the best game DeVito had played. Like that Duke game it was the, actually it, looked it, good. Well, it was after an Albany game. That's what it was. Oh, it going was, into the Liberty game. It yep. was going into the Liberty game. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yes, he didn't look great against Rutgers, but nobody on that team did except for the said. defense. Right. And so that was a... Um, Is it possible to look good against Rutgers? No. No. Like, they, they bring you down to their level somehow. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, imagine what Southern California kids are thinking on a rainy November day in Piscataway. 
<laughs> it makes a rainy night in Stoke look like nothing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what I what I will say is that uh, I think Syracuse Syracuse just posted like they've been doing the only glimpse that we as a general public have seen from Syracuse are like the daily Instagram videos of camp. Some of them are legitimate plays. Most of them are stupid stuff like uh, I believe I can fly overlaid of two players jumping at each other. Um, you know, not actual game film. Uh, but the most I there was one that was either yesterday or Friday that was a deep pass. It was a Damian Alford like deep pass. And it was thrown by um, uh, Davis, who looks to hit Alford like in stride up the seam beautiful throw um so i did do Alfred think that it? one what was that no, was, this the, the, was, was this yes. the delay interception actually okay. i thought this i thought it was alford um again going by numbers syracuse did not tag anybody in the in the video they did not caption it um which again you guys just make it so hard um but we, the, we want to give you credit but like it's, help us out yeah. Uh, but the the gist of it is that like one of the things that we did joke about here is that like you know Garrett Trader needs to relearn to throw. It does appear as if both Williams and Del Rio Wilson are getting significant reps. Davis. Um, Davis. So why did I say Dylan is on the name game tonight, my friend? <laughs> yeah, I. This is why I need. I well, I don't have my uh, cheat sheet up yet. That's uh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Started, he doesn't have. Working. He, he he doesn't have his whiteboard with Blyche up over his computer. <laughs> Still there. Well, do we want to do we want to talk about him now or do we want to talk about running backs? Oh, we'll, gonna, go, that, we'll just go down the depth chart. Okay, I was going to say like, next. I, I was going to say the offensive line talk is going to take forty five minutes anyway, so we might as well. Right. well. I was going to say the running we we the running back uh, the quarterbacks had like a legitimate backup battle. I feel like the running back conversation was we get Laquit Allen back, yay! We don't get Laquit Allen back, boo! <laughs> right, and that's I guess that's going to be the only question for this is right now you know. LaQuinn Allen's listed as the number one. Uh, Juwan Price is the two behind him. Rest of the room includes uh, Muafak Parkman, who's a true freshman. Destin Hawkins is the transfer in from somewhere out west. Juco. Yeah. Uh, he was the one that came in post thinking Allen may not be Allen. Um, Ike Daniels, true freshman. Josh Escobar, and then uh, Tyler Chandler, and Mario Escobar, and J.J. Branham. Um, yeah, and Hawkins and Branham, I believe, are the JUCO transfers. Yep. And Daniels, Duke. and Daniels is, I believe, the highest-rated recruit from last year. Yes, followed, Daniels is. Who followed the uh, the Allen path of talented running back from New Jersey? Yep, so, Branham was a Eastern Michigan kid, uh, and, and I don't know who uh, or where exactly one of the JUCOs. Uh, he was Eastern Michigan, then he or he went to a JUCO, then he went to Eastern Michigan then came to us. So the good news is if we find ourselves in a 2020 situation, we have some options. Right. Um, which I mean, 2020, uh, as dumb as it sounds, uh, Ike Daniels is probably our, uh, string running back. <laughs> like go to the sixth string and see what happens with a true freshman. Uh, if we get to that point, then God help us all. Uh, but there is at least a viable, you know, there's viable depth at this, this position, but, it's pretty well uh, the one, two. I, I think there's no questions anywhere about what's happening there outside of when Allen gets his first minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued on that mostly because Price is somebody who, if you talk 
or you read anything uh, written by like national college football guys, Jawan Price was one of the reasons that, you know, if New Mexico State is playing insert traditional power five team or interesting, you know, power five team, it's okay, well, they'll beat New Mexico State, but Jawan Price is at least something to watch on New Mexico State. Right. Like he's played in every single game since he was a freshman. He obviously could have stayed at New Mexico State for one more year and then thrown, you know, rolled his dice with the combine and with the NFL running back talent development. I don't really want to call it a system, but it's it's a machine of some kind. Uh, but he made the option to transfer and made the option to transfer to Syracuse. Um, and so I can't imagine that he's making that move with LaQuint Allen in the backfield and the knowledge of going, I'm going to sit behind LaQuint Allen, who's a year younger than him. Um, actually a year and a half. If you, if you count the red shirt, um, like I, I, I just don't see price not getting significant reps in some way, shape or form. Um, but again, that's like, there's no rhino this year. There's no fullback listed on the depth chart because there's no rhino to just kind of take over that, you know, fullback tight end lead blocker spot. So we saw a lot of it last year where there was, you know, Rhino got hurt and the, you know, and didn't, didn't really play in any games last year. So we saw what the offense looks like without that position, but it does seem to me like something that I was clamoring for a lot last year was like, give us more double running back sets, give us more something to create misdirection. Um, And prices is, is, has pretty good hands coming out of the backfield. It would be nice to see, you know, Price and Allen both get reps pretty consistently. And it'll be interesting to see them both on the field, considering that Price has the ability to to run some pretty solid routes and has shown that his hands are, you know, above average for that position. He's also 5'10", 208, which, uh, for lack of a better description, is built like a brick shit house. <laughs> and to add on to that point also, the the main reason why we didn't see a lot of running back rotation just in general over the past couple of seasons is because Tucker was a workhorse and like yeah. he wasn't going to get taken off that field just in general, unless he got hurt. Even, and even if he probably should have. Yeah, exactly. But so what we, but what we've seen now in not just the modern NFL game, but in the modern college game as well, is that you need to have a two running back system in order to be successful. Um, so many teams, so many teams are constantly rotating out their running backs. There's not a, not every team has a Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to just give the ball to this guy or right. Derek Henry. I'm just going to give the ball to this guy more often than not. It's a one a and one B kind of like what you saw the Cowboys do so well last year. While Tony Pollard got a lot of the carries Zeke Elliott still, had his fair share as well to the point where he wasn't necessarily a backup and more so a one B starter. And I don't, even though five ten two oh eight is, you know, pretty hefty, like that's still not a, for prices, um, biographics, um, that's still not Tucker levels of like body, Oh, no. absolute temp chiseled temple. Right. And so we're not talking him like DC three mm-hmm. or. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And even if Beck brings in a new system, Dino, Dino has always said that his offenses start and go well when they establish the run. 
So if if that if that's going to hold true, then you need to be able to r- rotate out Allen and and Price like pretty consistently, just in general, because yeah. as we've seen in and all the levels of football right now, your running backs can't be out there for a lot of plays at a time. Well, we can work on cutting that down. But uh, one thing that seems to be uh, set in stone. No, never mind. We're not there yet. I was thinking tight ends. Wide outs. Might might as well. Huh? Okay. Tight ends ends are Ronda Gitson if we're passing and Max Mang if we're not. There. (laughs) We're done. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of other That would be be an interesting case study to to see how many plays Gatson and Mang were on the field at the same time for last year. Yeah. That would be kind of curious, like whether he's actually, quote unquote, utilizing that as a, you know, the mm-hmm. the Y or whatever he wants to call it as a tight end and swapping them. Or I do know. One, all... I do know one play. It was the Purdue touchdown because mm-hmm. Schrader got flattened because Ming just, you know, got flattened yeah. as well. <laughs> so that'll happen. Um, I feel like we're just not going to see a lot of Max Ming this year until, uh, we get into very specific game situations. Um, Gadsden, I think I think it's really interesting to see. Gadsden is the leading returning receiver in all of the ACC this year. Um, he's somebody who is going to get double teamed when he is on the field. And there's going to be a lot more attention on him this year than there was last year. And we saw last year, you know, some teams did some decent jobs of shutting him down it was less about shutting him down and more about getting into the backfield so quickly that you couldn't really throw to any receiver, let alone, let alone Gadsden. Which um, no offense when you have a six, five, two kid playing in the slot, uh, just huck it up. He's going to get it over whatever is covering him. Well, uh, I the, wonder... problem, the problem is just that the quarterback last year uh, lost his lower body against Notre Dame. So mm, fair. Well, also apparently uh, lost his throwing hand and played through it, which we're talking of, uh, for those that didn't see, uh, if you watch the ESPN um, campus roadshow uh, tour thing that they did with ESPN, which was this week, uh, they talked to Garrett Schrader and Garrett Schrader revealed that he had stitches in his throwing hand uh, and played through it. uh, That's why he had a glove on. Those two games, for the record, were Florida State and Wake Forest. Both losses. Uh, Wake Forest yeah. game, Schrader played pretty well. Uh, Wake Florida State uh, Florida game State. looked like a hot trash can fire. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, turns out that Schrader being healthy is going to help everything. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, do th- I do wonder this year if with Beck at the helm, without having that Sean Tucker safety net, if we're just not going to see a whole lot of the – uh, five second drops. It's just going to be a five step, you know, take your time drops. It's just going to be one, two hit Gatson when he's lined up on a linebacker kind of, kind of offense. Yeah. You might see like three step. Uh, well, I guess coming out of, yeah, three step out of the shotgun is effectively like a former five step, but um, you're not going to, uh, unless things go weirdly well in the conversation we're going to have in a minute. Uh, I don't see us doing much seven step drop or, you know, we may get slide protection. We may get some weird shit. Um, no, makes you safe. <laughs> because we have Frankenstein's monster as the offensive line. <laughs> Steve, 
talk through the depth chart here because well no this... we're we're still we still haven't touched whiteouts we've talked well, i we, think we might we've talked we about might. our actual whiteout now the rest of the whiteouts <laughs> that are listed as whiteouts we need to talk about which is a little which is a little unfair because we know gatson's going to be inside receiver and just to put a bow right. on the gatson topic what we also saw from last year that would really really that worked really really well is that when teams played zone he was really really good at finding that soft mm-hmm. spot in the zone to just sit Yep. And he he would naturally just make himself open. So that puts more of an incentive on teams to dedicate resources to him, which should in turn open up the options for the guys on the wide receiver chart that we're about to get to. And the guys that I think, one of the guys who I think is going to be one of the impact players in this season, provided that Frankenstein's monster doesn't collapse. And that's Isaiah Jones, who's mm-hmm. currently listed as the number two um, outside wide receiver, um, opposite of Damian Alford. And if if it wasn't for the for him literally getting his arm ripped off in the Purdue game last year, I think he could have had an excellent season that a lot of people weren't expecting. Oh yeah, last year. was talking him up prior to last. Like by everyone, I mean like his teammates in that mm-hmm. were talking about prior to last year, and they're doing the same thing prior to this year. So hopefully everybody stays healthy and we can see that. And luck- luckily, on this in this instance, the injury he suffered was not his fault. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so yeah, four four wideouts. You've got Alfred and Jones outside. You've got Trevor Pena in the slot. Um, and then behind them, Demarcus Adams and Omari Hatcher outside, and Donovan Brown in the slot, who was, I believe, Andy's pick for surprise on the depth chart in our articles last week. Yeah, Brown is just somebody who is not quote-unquote new to the program, um, but last year he only appeared in four games plus the bowl game in order to maintain his red shirt. So it was clear that the staff think that this is somebody who is more of a contribute down the line guy rather than a contribute right now guy. So it's interesting to see that he has jumped into that spot on the depth chart, but all things considered, we already talked about Gatson being lined up inside. You've got Pena, who you expect to play every snap pending his his health as well. Uh, it turns out that there might not be a ton of space on the inside for a third set of hands there pending injury. Um, but it is interesting to see a red, you know, a red yeah. shirt sophomore, freshman. essentially. A freshman, yeah, sorry. Second year on campus with a red shirt. Um, a second year, uh, you know, that player basically jump the line uh and and get the inside receiving spot so i'm you know it bodes well usually those kinds of guys when dino gives a young guy a 2d position it means that that guy is talented see every young player that has risen up into a starter in the dino bavers tenure um they generally don't miss with the young guys that they promote if anything dino's tends to have a habit of keeping guys who are veterans who might not be as good as the youngsters in starting slots. He tends to go that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, preview for what we're about to talk about next. Um, so it is Donovan Brown getting getting into the two deep is probably a testament to where the staff see him, it, not just long-term, but w- what he's done uh, in the offseason. Yeah, and the, I mean, he's got speed. Like he he's fast. So if we yeah. need if we need a burner, 
Uh, he's also listed as the backup kick returner, punt returner to Pena. So yeah. uh, there's there's that going for him as well, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's going to be going to be interesting to see what those six guys do. Uh, we do also have uh, Mister. I caught a ball through a person in Kendall Long. Uh, which they showed clips of uh, on the socials through through a bunch of clips out. One of them was Kendall Long literally catching a ball uh, with a person face guarding him, caught the ball behind uh, whoever the DB was, which I can't remember who it was, but he uh, he caught the ball and brought it down complete full full completion with somebody face guarding him, catching it behind the guy. It was pretty impressive. Sports Center top ten, if uh, that was still a thing. R.I.P. Sports Center. Uh, I go thirty minutes into this podcast without touching on, without like fully diving deep into the most controversial part, in our opinion, of this death chart. Because we're football freaks, and that's what we do. And now we're going to talk about the offensive line, um, Steve. We're just going to kind of get out of the way and let you talk about this because... For those listening on the podcast, this is the part of the podcast where Andy and I push our chairs back from our desks and let (laughs) Let, Steve talk. Let the rain commence. (laughs) Well, it just... It doesn't doesn't make sense. Like, I think that that's the easiest way to talk about the 2D peer is that... It it does and doesn't, though. That's the problem. Here, here, here's a here's a great thing for it. Uh, I went to New Jersey this past weekend. I bought the Athlon season season preview, and because uh, like I was I was going to Princeton, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be on this train for a while. Like, let's get the Athlon magazine, like read through the ACC preview, and they have their projected depth chart, and like they have guys like Stephen Godfrey who are part of their staff, who are like not full time Athlon writers, who are just college football guys that they bring in as mercenaries to make this preview. Yep. Um, their offensive line predicted depth chart only had one guy on the current uh, depth chart that is actually, uh, you know, what, what we're seeing as a match. Right. So there's just I a would assume that was our current left tackle, Enrique Cruz. Uh, Enrique Cruz was the one. So, yeah, I'm just going to kind of get out of the way of this one and, and, and let Steve <laughs> explain why this doesn't make any why this doesn't make any sense and why it hopefully will make sense but before before steve gets fully into it let's all like put the disclaimer out there this is just a projected depth chart based on one reporter's observations this is strictly based on what emily has seen yes so who knows what's going to actually happen or who's where or what especially because we know dino doesn't like the show things yeah so we we may not know anything until they line up against Colgate. So uh, that said, the current projected starting line from what has been seen this preseason, uh, Andy literally just got <laughs> up and walked away. He's like, all right, we're done. We're good. Uh, Enrique Cruz at left tackle. Chris Bleich at left guard. Uh, the, the, the ever, uh, ever present or yeah. <laughs> uh, between Joshua Loa and Jeanre Reed at center. Uh, Joe Moore at right guard and David Wollabot Jr. at right tackle. Um, if you'd have told me this uh, coming out of spring camp or going into fall camp, I would have been very confused, mostly for the uh, very large. Uh, we'll we'll go with elephant in the room because, well, he's a huge human being. Kalen Ellis not being listed as the starting left tackle, even though he worked extremely well with Enrique Cruz last year and has a 
very big track record of being an, uh, an outstanding left guard. Um, but for some reason, Chris Bleich is listed over him. I don't know why. Uh, maybe he's carrying a knock. Maybe they're trying to work out some things. I don't know. I'm not Steve Farmer. I'm Steve Haller. So we'll figure this out uh, as we get closer to game time. Um, the backups are currently listed as Joe Cruz at left tackle, Kalen Ellis at left guard, which is the if he was left out, it's one thing. The fact that he's listed and listed as the two is the concerning part. Um, Jacob Bradford at right guard and then Mark Petrie at right tackle. Um, where do you want to go guys? I don't like the interior of this line. Like, yeah, me too. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like it's, I think one of the things that we saw last year and we've seen in years where this team has tanked is that the interior of the line just becomes a folding chair against Mm. Uh, good defensive pressure. And again, look at the schedule that Syracuse has. They are playing like there's, they're not playing the strongest schedule. However, they are playing a schedule that includes pretty much every good ACC defensive line and front seven in there. And if the way to beat Syracuse is just going to be bum rush the interior of the line, this is not going to be a good season. Um, And Okay. Remember, so, remember the discussion we had at the end of last season. That Syracuse's which, which most one? efficient. That Syracuse's most efficient running style was running away from the protection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That was that was the thing. Yeah. Let that sink for a little bit. Yep. And yeah. and consider the fact that LeQuint Allen is a very good horizontal runner. Uh, All right. I run away from the protection again. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So that center battle, that's something that we need to watch. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Josh Lowe has been around the program for a lot. He's put on some weight. Uh, maybe that doesn't mean he gets bull rushed like a beast every single time he's on the field. Um, if he does, then January Reed is a transfer that came in that hopefully provides some sort of change and you know, different look to that. Uh, he He's listed at 6'3", 315, uh, coming in from Hutchinson Community College, I believe won the NJCAA title with them last year. Uh, so he's got, yep, uh, led Hutchinson to an NJCAA national championship, 11-1 and in 2022. Okay. So there's at least a track record of him playing on successful lines. Um, I... I don't mind that look if we see it, uh, especially if it means that he is better than Aloha, who has some, you know, uh, prior recognition with this team, with this unit. Um, you also have coming in a very large true freshman in Trevion Mack, who's going to redshirt. And I clicked on the wrong tab because I was supposed to be looking at Jaden Bass, who's a also a freshman. I'm over to Lysander Moiolo, uh, who is the transfer I was looking for from Navarro College, 6'6", 360. Uh, he came in during the fall. I'm curious where he's going to end up landing. Um, basically, we have a lot of big bodies. We talked about it, I think, two weeks ago, how most of this line has bulked up and we are no longer looking at the uh, 
try and make them quick and fast and move and into the Schmidt and what seems to be farmer role of uh, make them big and make them block things, which seems solid. Uh, I won't, I won't, you know, until I see what farmer is doing out there, I'm not going to discount anything that's, that's going on with these guys size wise. Um, the, the interior is just so weird with those, with Bleich over Ellis, because unless, unless he magically gets back to what, what he saw or what he showed freshman year at Florida, uh, before he got injured post this surgery, I don't see any reason he should be starting over Ellis. And if anything should be starting at the right guard over transfer from Richmond, Joe Moore, uh, Moore in the spring had been working at tackle. It looks like they moved him down interior. So they must at least like what they're seeing over Jacob Bradford, who has seen time again, you know, in the program. And then I guess at right tackle, you've got David Wollabaugh, the the transfer coming in from Kansas that Not he, Kentucky. Kentucky. Yep. Sorry. Uh, wrong K. I, wrong I get, SEC school. Yeah, I get them. That, that has blue as a primary as color. As that sounds. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, and don't. Uh, yeah, I have a couple. I have a friend who's a Jayhawk fan that kills me every time that I confuse the two. But uh, they are effectively the same school to me. Um, Wollabaugh. Wrong. Yeah, I mean they're they're both out there somewhere in the Midwest, and they're both blue. So it's right. and they both have they both and. Um, um, with the exception of the past couple of years, they both have Medicore football programs and outstanding blue blood basketball programs. Yep. yep. Does that sound familiar to anyone around here? Mm. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think Steve, like one of the things that I think is most interesting is that um, I forget when Dino said this, but I think it was recently this week when asked about the offensive line, Dino said that his goal is that they're going to have about seven guys that play the majority of the snaps in a perfect world with no injuries they don't anticipate a ton of rotation and they're hoping to keep things pretty tight, um, which obviously on the one side, Hey, that's kind of what like 2018, that's what you that want. offense, that's offensive line was, yeah, that was five guys with a sixth and a seventh when you need a spell, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. We talked it, last year a lot about the chemistry and mm-hmm. to only go seven deep is where you need to be to get those guys all like have a backup guard, have a backup tackle, and that sixth and seventh man are your options because they will, if you work the reps, they'll know how to work with, uh, work, work with who's out there versus, you know, uh, not having familiarity coming off double teams or working pass protection. But that makes the two deep look even more confusing because <laughs> that means that you're leaving off, you know, either a player who has been in this program and is probably really solid, uh, or you're leaving out like a transfer who you probably brought in with the expectation of, look, we're bringing you in because the offensive line needs shoring up and we're playing you. Like I, I just, well, Bradford I'm, saw time at guard and tackle last year. So what, what I wouldn't be surprised at looking at this depth chart is Ellis is your next man in at left guard. Brad, Bradford is your next right sided option. And then maybe Cruz is your next left tackle. Uh, something along those lines where you've got seven or eight. Like Petri, Petri's come in a while ago and his name's been around the depth chart, but I've never heard or seen much of him. So I can't really comment. But I do know like Bradford worked at guard and tackle last year. So 
the big problem though with this defensive line, and it always comes back down to scheduling, is that we're probably not going to know what this how good this defensive line is until after the Virginia Tech game, because yeah. you expect the offensive—I mean, offensive line—we we expect the offensive line to do pretty well in the first four games. Um, Maybe with maybe the exception of Purdue, because no one knows what Purdue is this year. And then you expect the offensive line to get its mouth beat in by Florida State, Clemson, and UNC. And then you have that bye week, and then you have that Virginia Tech game. And then it even gets stranger because you still have the Pitt and Wake Forest games where you also expect that offensive line to probably get their face punched in. Right. So it's it's going to be weird evaluating this line on a week-to-week basis because it feels like just on paper there's no 50-50 matchup other than maybe Virginia Tech, and that's even putting it at a stretch. Yeah. And if it feels like every other matchup swings wildly in favor of one position or the other. Right. And maybe our only true 50-50 matchup is that Purdue game. But who knows? Right. Purdue, just their entirety of existence is a question mark. Uh, that said, in a couple of weeks, we will be talking to the uh, Fans Force, Fans Force Sportsnet uh, Purdue guys on a, uh, a a collaboration for Purdue Week. So we'll uh, we'll keep you guys So we can ask them where in the world is Carmen Sandiego in terms of its team? Effectively, mm-hmm. yes. Um, but you know where in the world our halftime sponsor is? On my head and on my shirt. On and your on my shirt. shirt. Yes. <laughs> home Field Apparel. Our good old friends at Home Field are back sponsoring us again for this football season. Uh, they have t-shirts. They have joggers. They have hoodies. They have crewnecks. They have long sleeve t-shirts. They even do dad hats. I am. If you're watching this on the Twitch stream or on the replay. I am wearing the new Cuse dad hat that got a really, it held up really well in a day in outdoor pool drinking and uh, swimming yesterday. So can (laughs) confirm these are made for quality uh, and they are, they can, they can hold up to a beating, which is good because I'll be wearing it all football season and it'll be probably thrown on the ground a couple of times out of frustration. See, now I was going to, I was going to immediately order the dad hat. And then uh, for anyone who's not watching the stream, I'm back to uh, we're we're in football season, so I am in lineman hair mode. So uh, cannot rock the dad hat at this juncture. The so, bun is back. Yeah the 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 prerequisite offensive lineman bun is uh, is back being rocked. So we're here, uh, and no more dad hats for me. Well, you can still rock a home field T-shirt. They just announced that their countdown to kickoff is beginning. It's a whole new line of uh new schools getting added new deals uh new bomber jackets coming and most Not importantly <laughs> christian just peeked up as soon as she said new bomber jackets coming. i know and most importantly for those of you who are like me and just love the feel of the home field t-shirts uh, but maybe want something a little bit more neutral for your work days or for those days that Syracuse is not playing. Uh, they will be launching a new line of home field college football apparel that is just home field and college football love. Uh, looking forward to all that coming. 
if you've yet to buy from home field and experience the greatness that is these this uh our wonderful sponsor use promo code noons 23 n-u-n-e-s-2-3 for uh, i believe it is we're up to 15 percent off your first order uh yes 15 percent off your first order with promo code noons 23 n-u-n-e-s-2-3 uh they're gentlemen comfy enough, they're comfy enough that i'm rocking a north dakota state university shirt because why wouldn't you especially on a Syracuse podcast. It makes total sense. Uh, you know what? Uh, I was trying to convey this into something about the front seven with the Syracuse depth chart, uh, but I couldn't figure one out. Uh, I was I was trying to find a Rocky Long connection. Couldn't find one. Uh, but no, it doesn't make sense. But what does make sense is that Syracuse is running the three three five with Rocky Long at the helm. Uh, the Syracuse had... What was that? The Godfather. Yes, the Godfather. Yes, 73-year-old Rocky Long is the defensive coordinator for Syracuse. Um, It's an interesting call. I will say I thought that this was going to be a move that would get derision and a lot of like, oh, wow, Syracuse can only get Rocky Long. Generally, the industry seems to be pretty surprised that Syracuse got him, um, but more in the positive surprised element of, oh, they went up the coaching tree instead of down the coaching tree further. Uh, the fact that they got Rocky Long is a bit of a surprise that he would, you know, make that move um, to Syracuse. Yeah. So I think it's a testament to the relationship that we've seen Dino build with him. Um, I'm interested to hear, you know, probably we won't get more of this until the end of the season, but where that relationship started and how that relationship built, we know that it was at least partially the reason why Tony White and Zach Arnett were both in the building signing contracts for Syracuse at some point in time. Um, so God, I'm intrigued. I forgot about that saga until you mentioned it. Me too. Zach Arnett, uh, Zach Arnett is now a head coach. Yeah. Just want to remind everybody, Zach Arnett is now an SEC head coach. Um, don't need to talk about it more than that. Uh, and, and Tony White is now a Big Ten defensive, defensive coordinator. So. Yeah, Tony White is the defensive coordinator at Nebraska. Weird. Yeah, we traded, we traded him for half of Nebraska's defensive <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Going that, into that, the was, so that that we didn't realize that deal was actually a player to be named later trade, and the, it was, in a couple months they it, it all was, come to us. It, it was it was the equivalent of trading. It was the equivalent of trading Juan Soto for prospects. <laughs> like uh, damn, yeah, <laughs> we traded away Juan Soto and and maybe our Mackenzie Gore is Miles Farmer, except without giving up as many home runs. Ooh, TBD on that Here one. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, yeah. Do we want to start on the back and move our way front, or do we want to go? No, on we'll start front? at the front. Start at the front yeah. because they're because I I have thoughts on the front. Well, All right. the, the, so let's the, think about this front. This front starts with uh, you know, what's expected. Caleb Okachuku at the starting defensive end. Kayvon Darton as your starting defensive tackle, and Dennis Hawkins Jr. as the other defensive end. Doesn't seem too out of the ordinary. Chase Simmons follows Okachuku. Uh, the second string defensive tackle is a dreaded or between Terry Lockett, the returning uh, former starter, and Braylon Ingraham, the Alabama defensive line somewhere transfer that was playing defensive end in the spring. Uh, and then Kevin Jobody Jr. at uh, the second defensive end spot. So, Christian, the floor is yours. My big thing is at defensive tackle. I, if if I was 
just looking at this team just in general, I would have assumed that the Terry Lockett or or Breland Ingraham line would be at would be on the first part of the depth chart and not behind Kevon Darton. And while I get it, Darton did an excellent job last year of being a stopgap for when Lockett went down to injury. There was also a reason why that, although we keep on harping it, there wasn't a, there's not a lot of pressure needed to be created by the defensive line. There's also part, part of the reason why there wasn't a lot of pressure created by the defensive line, because you saw it at you saw it the minute Lockett went down. There was an ESPN graphic every single game about the weight disparity between the two lines, yeah, on offense and defense, and a lot of that was, and a lot of and a lot of those graphics were immediately followed up by a solo shot on Dart. And while a lot of people love him because you know it's a great story as well, started out as a walk on, eventually got more and more reps, now on full scholarship. If you're gonna have more well-rounded success in for this defense because a lot of people also want to see more from the defensive line then i think you have to have Lockett and ingraham as the ones as the starters yeah and that may be something we work into because again you know ingraham was here in the spring Lockett's coming off injury uh it might be something that that's what works like works into practice but from apparently what they've been seeing at this juncture, that is not the case. Uh, Darton is up to 271. So he is uh, not a small human being. but Which would uh, be great if he was a defensive end. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you say that, but Ingraham's listed, Ingraham's listed at 301. Lockett's only listed at 280. So... Right. I was he was a... I assumed he was at like 290. Yeah, nine pounds does not a huge difference make, especially when Lockett's frame is 6'3 versus the 5'10 bowling ball of Kevin Darton. Yeah. So, yeah, it's but, well, it's going to be weird also, up the middle. Well, also part of, and, th- and this is also one of the reasons why, I'm personally a very big Terry Lockett fan. I really, really, really like him, and I thought... Yeah. And I think he should be in the starting role. And one of the main reasons is what you look at the weaknesses of the defense from the first half of the season to the second half of the season. And one of the biggest weaknesses was run defense. And part of that was the size disparity of both lines. And and yes, while Lockett is only 9, 10 pounds heavier than Darton currently at this point, based on the rosters that we have, Lockett was a very, very integral part of making sure the run wasn't nearly as developed as it was in the latter part of the season. Lockett's run defense was extraordinary, in my opinion. Yeah. And and maybe it was the bump up in competition as well that kind of did Darton in and the defensive line and the rest of the defense in, in terms of the you know running back production just skyrocketing from opposing teams. But I think that Lockett was an integral part of allowing the defense to be so successful that they were able he he was one of the reasons why they could stop the run and then the real crux of the three three five with the versatility of the linebackers and defensive backs, yep, to really cause havoc in the pass game could really shine. Yeah, and I, it, it may be 
as weird as it sounds, like it may be a situational three-man rotation as to all of them on an or as to who's starting when and doing what. Yeah, this this could be like a Cody Roscoe situation. Yeah, and that worked where, out well for him. Yeah, where it where basically where uh, where basically one of them comes in like every now and again and it changes to a four man front. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, either way, definitely definitely one of those to keep a strong eye on as we're progressing through and you know see what happens against uh, Colgate. Uh, at the defensive ends, anyone surprised at all by Okachuku and Hakez? No. How about behind them? Because there's Honest, a couple of names that fell off. Honestly, no. I, and and the one name that people are going to want to know what happened is Franc- Francois Nolton, which mm-hmm. I'm in. Yeah. Which which I'm which I'm interested to know as well. But he didn't play last year, and Simmons and Jobody last year. We looked fairly decent from what we saw from them in their limited sample size. Yep. So I, so this is this is honestly kind of like a a Carlos Del Rio Wilson Braden Davis situation where there may be a higher ceiling with the guy in the back, but the current the current uh, the current talent level is a weird thing to say. The the current level of what Syracuse wants is right now. Better for Simmons and Jobity, I guess. Nolton is also listed still at 236, while you know Jobity is listed at 264. Um, that 30 pounds is for real, and I, I'm not saying that we should be on the lookout for Nolton to transfer or anything, but Nolton seems like a tweener of all tweeners. Um, he's built much more in the Steve Linton mold. Yes. In all honesty, I mean, at six, four, like maybe we see him in that Steve or the Steven Thompson, uh, Stefan Thompson, not Stevie Thompson. Very different. Uh, (laughs) you were getting there. uh, Yeah. See him in that mold, uh, as the, you know, hand on the ground, send him guy. Uh, the other name that we saw last year, quite a bit that didn't show up at that, is at that tackle spot in Elijah Funta's Cundiff. Well, I'm not surprised because there's because you have that talent of Lockett Ingraham yeah. and Darden. So he's probably he's honestly four on that depth chart right now. Yep. And if you have Lock and if 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 you have Lockett and Ingraham at the one um and Darden as the two, maybe you would make a convert maybe you make an argument for putting an or there for I just want that's kind of as well, but even then, I think Darton is a better option than him. Probably, like he'll he'll see time. It's just going to yeah. be deep. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, I guess going from that uh, of note, I think I read it this morning. Uh, the aforementioned not Stevie Thompson is out of his red jersey and is actually practicing. Mm. So Stefan Thompson is back, quote unquote, healthy. Uh, how healthy that is, we don't know. He's been out for a long, long time. But, yeah. Uh, and so he's not listed in this too deep as we go through the linebackers. Correct. Since this came out uh, a bit ago. Yeah. So the linebackers are listed as your starters of Derek McDonald, Marlo Wax, Leon Lowry, with your backups of uh, Kaleeb Gilmore, uh, Makai Mason, and Edward Sparrow. Feel like that's pretty straightforward. 
adding Thompson to that mix probably means that Derek McDonald moves to the back uh, of the two, probably kicks either, probably kicks Gilmore out, to be honest. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, Mackay and Anwar, you know, got some, got some time last year. Um, honestly, I think the linebacking, the linebacking group is what it is. It's really top heavy. I really like Thompson, Wax and Lowry. If, one or more of that group goes down, you know, I think we saw McDonald can service same thing with Sparrow. They can, they can be useful. Um, don't really know if we want to test more than that from an injury perspective. So I mean, what I'll say, and I, for, go for it, what I'll say, and I, and I feel like also Steve is wanting to jump on this as well, is that I was expecting, I was expecting an or for Sparrow and Lowry. Yes. At that at that linebacker position, and where I think you're also going to go with this is probably having Key and Bailey on that too deep as well, um, because I I do think it's a I I do think it again we haven't seen the entirety of practice we haven't been there, but I I do feel like Lowry and Sparrow are much closer in skill set and production and pro, and productivity level, and while I am a bigger Lowry friend than Sparrow, I do believe that both of them deserve the same amount of playing time because they're both really good at what they do. Um, and also what we saw is that with the 3-3-5, it's not like other systems where you can kind of interchange the linebackers and put them wherever you want. It's very set in the position of here are our Sams, here are our Wills, and here are our Mikes. And once you settle into that position, unless you are Marlowe Wax, you are you are staying at that position for your the majority of your career. Right. And your, I mean, your mics and your wills are relatively interchangeable. Uh, your Sam is pretty much, you know, that's your hand on the ground guy. So we'll wait, strike that, reverse it. Yeah. Reverse it. Yeah. It's yeah. the will. Who's Sam, the and, Sam and Mike. Yeah. Pretty, pretty relatively interchangeable. Your will. It, I mean, that's mm-hmm. where, that's where Stefan. And, and even then, started. especially in the three, three, five, the mic isn't that interchangeable because the mic needs to have really, really good communication with the rover to quarterback and direct the defense. And yeah. so, and so from what, and what we saw from Tony white, and I'm assuming what we're going to see from Rocky long is that you need to have a very specific type of player there. who can command and direct that defense. Yep. So, and so it's uh, that, so you can't just easily slide a guy over from the Sam. Absolutely. So Khalid Gilmore, for anyone who did not remember or know, is a transfer in from West Florida, uh, played four years there, and has come in as a grad transfer, technically a redshirt junior. Uh, the aforementioned Caden Bailey uh, is somewhere not on the depth chart, which kind of surprised everybody. Um, after a very strong showing in the bowl game and then a decent showing in spring camp, uh, the nephew of champ and the son of boss is for some reason not on the depth chart which seems really weird but uh who knows again he may be carrying a knock he may be you know in in some other there may be extraneous circumstances just you know because there always can be so i don't know anything else on linebacking all right i got round this out with the mess yeah secondary is weird um, the two corners are Isaiah Johnson and Jeremiah Wilson. The safeties are Jason Simmons and Elijah Clark. 
and the rover is Justin Barron. Um, the backup corners are Greg Delane and Jaden Bellamy, and the backup safeties are Amon Greenwood and Braylon Oliver, with the backup rover being Jaden Gold. Um, so there's a lot of guys here who, you know, in the case of Gold and Braylon, uh, Oliver, who transferred into this program with a lot of fanfare and noise about their ability to be instant impact players. And Bellamy are, from Notre Dame. Yes, yeah, Bellamy as well. All coming in as backups to, uh, you know, I think either Wilson or Isaiah Jones, one of them was a true freshman last year, and the other is uh, a sophomore. Wilson or, is the, Wilson. Wilson was the true freshman, and Johnson was the transfer from Dartmouth. Yep. Yes, there we go. Who is currently a red, listed as a redshirt senior? So okay, yeah. he was a so, he was a grad transfer with two years of eligibility. So yep. this is his second. And there we year. go. Yeah, similar okay. to what Gilmore came in with. So, I mean, if you again, if you go on this on paper, you would think that the Nebraska, the Notre Dame, and the Louisville guy could beat out a Dartmouth grad transfer a true freshman and uh, Justin Barron, who who's had like a really nice career, but has never really been a difference maker on defense in the way that, you know, these other guys are built. Oh, to be. Oh, yeah. Well, I, this is, I, I see Steve, I, you know, my fascination with the Rover position here, um, but it does really feel like, Baron being listed as the rover feels like we want this rover to be a run stuff, a run support position, which I don't like because if, I really don't like Baron in coverage. Honestly, my no, my problem with Baron is not in coverage. My problem with him is in running. Yeah, because Steve and I have talked about this a lot in the over the past couple of years. Baron's angles when he's trying to attack a runner not great are abysmal. He's a big body, and when he hits someone, he's going to stop them. The problem ends up being him getting to said person to hit them. Is in the in most in a, you you know those uh you know those um MLB Statcast uh graphics where they show like route efficiency to a fly ball. Barrens isn't good, <laughs> and this this also is a testament to how much Syracuse needs that rover to be someone who's comfortable at controlling being another controller of the defense because because yes Barron's run angles coverage skills weren't great but after Rob Hanna went down did we see many other people replace Barron at all during a game the answer is probably no no and so, one, that makes it even a little bit more concerning that Gold is a backup rover. Because if trends continue like that, he might not see a lot of playing time because Syracuse is probably going to want to keep Barron in there throughout the entire game to keep the communication consistent. And so that just it's where it gets concerning. On Andy's point on the cornerbacks, I don't think it's a surprise that Isaiah Johnson got the starting cornerback spot at the at the one, because when he came in to replace Garrett Williams last year, 
he was excellent. And he was, uh, he, he, it didn't seem like there was, uh, there was a little drop off, obviously, because Williams is an amazing corner, but not a significant amount to where uh, you're wondering, like, okay, why is, why is the enemy team not throwing to that side right. of the field on every single play? And so I think Johnson deserves that number one spot. That's perfectly fine. The surprise is definitely Wilson holding on to the two spot because while he was okay, um, when he relieved Chestnut at times, yeah, he wasn't exceptional. And so I expected one of Gold or Bellamy to replace him there. The other thing too is you've got that Juco from uh, uh, some college, the junior college, uh, Barry Buxton. Mm-hmm. So right. you have another another experienced player coming in too at the corner spot. So uh, the fact that Wilson held all of them off, sure, okay. I mean, if that if that's what it's looking like, that either worries me or that means Wilson made some strides. And you hope it's the latter. Yeah. If anyone who's played NCAA football over the years, which is coming back in twenty four. God, we're um, gonna have so much fun with both. Oh, God. All, all three of us, I can feel like, are just have so much fun with that. Yep, hundred percent. Um, my yeah, and now that it's on PS5 instead of PS3, and I can actually record things, that would make my life. That's that's why I stopped that old run through, is because I got so sick of trying to record uh, on PS3. Yeah, trying to like mm-hmm. take pictures of my PlayStation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, people can make jumps over the course of off seasons. So maybe Wilson made that jump. That'd be great to see. And then the other elephant in this room is the Miles Farmer situation. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Not Um, Steve Farmer. Miles Farmer. mm -hmm. We have too many farmers now. Yeah. Miles Farmer, the one who multiple suspensions at Nebraska, uh, one of which included a driving under the influence charge. Uh, Babers said all the right things about him coming in and becoming part of the family and that he's been vetted and that they believe in his character and I am all for second chances and whatnot. And Babers has had a very excellent track record of um, taking in either non-qualifiers or players with red flags and then not having them have issues at Syracuse. All of that is fair. But to bring in Farmer this late into the season or like into the camp, like it's not a, I'm not surprised he's not on the two deep, but yeah, Christian, I'm not sure where he fits into this two deep in an ideal scenario. Because again, here's another dude who played 24 games as a freshman and as a sophomore at Nebraska in the big 10. Um, so he can play at this level and he's not like his disciplinary issues are probably why he transferred. But he came to Syracuse with the expectation to play, not not to ride the bench. Yeah, I mean, likely he slots yeah. in in that Amon Greenwood hole. Um, uh, more like, uh, more likely, if if Syracuse really really likes him, he replaces Jason Simmons. And then I believe I I, I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, where he replaces Jason Simmons, and Simmons reverts back to his role of being the okay. Let's just fill in and be the fourth DB whenever needed and not notice a significant drop off in play when either Farmer or uh, Clark need a spell or a rest. Right. 
yeah, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. That's, uh, uh, you know, the move's not going to happen early. No. But. You know, you you know what all all of this like you know hopefully all these transfers work back up, all the guys who are coming back from injury work back up. This is all going to coincide on that damn Purdue game. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So we get two tune-ups, and then figure out what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Because again, like. That game is now suddenly it's a seven it's a prime time NBC matchup. Weird. Um but yeah, it really does feel like Cuse needs to win that game. Like that is that is a must-win game. Um uh, for a lot of different reasons, but I would like to see them go, you know, a hundred percent open playbook. Let's let's try to really win this thing. Um it'll be interesting to, to say the least. Yep. But uh, the the last the last positions quickly to run through. We talked about the kick returners and putt returners, uh, Trevor Pena and Donovan Brown. Um, Holder, Justin Barron, uh, same thing as last year. Uh, but the specialists, new kicker, new punter, uh, Brainy Denneberg at kicker and Jack Stonehouse, the transfer at from Missouri at punter. We've, you know, the incumbent Max von Marburg, uh, mixed results last year, I think is the kind way of saying that, um, there's definitely potential there, but obviously when Syracuse is good, special teams flips the field and puts Syracuse in a position to win games that it shouldn't win. Uh, when the special teams is bad, we've seen what happens. Uh, last year's special teams were average team was pretty average. Um, I'm intrigued to see what happens here, uh, but I'm not expecting, you know, Denenberg to to win the Groza Award anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking that. But Stonehouse, uh, having watched him in the spring game, looks pretty, pretty much the real deal. Hopefully, Punter U has returned. Uh, I guess then, you know, final thoughts on the on the two deep that we've seen so far. I. You know, my general vibe is that this feels like a Syracuse team that if things click right, it can be a pretty good team. But if things go wrong, the depth is all all kinds of questionable and I'm still not 100% sold on uh, the trenches, you know, moving, moving into the regular season. Yeah, the trenches are definitely the weakest part of this team right now especially given this projected too deep that we've seen from Emily Leichler. But this is the very definition of a high ceiling, low floor team from what we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. So as always, we get very confused by what Syracuse is going to do in the actual, when football actually happens. (laughs) Well, next week we'll do the full run down the schedule, talk about the games, talk about, the different paths to victory that we see, the different paths to defeat that we see. Um, Ooh, I get so. to write the six and six this week, right Ooh. in my normal wheelhouse of right down the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to write four and eight right now, my normal wheelhouse of it's all going <laughs> to hell. Yeah. Oh, I, am okay. not, I am not writing one, but if I did, I, I've talked myself into eight and four, which is 
Uh, I don't like being the optimist here, but this, yeah, yeah, Steve, I don't like there, it either. We we have all three ends okay? of the we have all three ends of the spectrum. We have uh, <laughs> we have the optimist and Andy. We have right down the middle, in and Steve, and we have the pessimist in me. It's yeah, perfect. Yep. Yeah. Next week. We next week's next week's gonna be fun. Uh, this is the type of neutrality that you don't get anywhere else. In the house. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll have to wait till next week for that because right now that is it for the disloyal idiots podcast a fans first sports nation pod uh thank you again to our sponsors home field apparel use promo code noons n-u-n-e-s-2-3 for 15 percent off your first order at homefieldapparel.com thank you again to all of our listeners uh make sure that you like and subscribe on whatever podcasting playback uh performer platform you are listening to it helps us trick the ai into expanding the uh the ottoman empire uh thank you for those that are watching us live on twitch we do this every night sunday at 8 p.m eastern thank you to those watching the replay on noonsmagician.com we really do appreciate your support and we appreciate the support from noonsmagician.com letting us post our podcast on there we are right in our wheelhouse we are in the football meat grinder it this is this is when we cook we're cooking with gas, and we're excited to do the season preview uh, next episode. So go Orange, and uh, looking forward to it. Go Orange. Go Orange.